0: Good morning church can you hear me all right praise God yes how's 2019 going all right my 2019 was like off to a fantastic start and then the Dallas Cowboys like just let me down last night so I'm mourning I'm grieving uh but the last shall be first so it's coming okay it's coming one day uh If you're new here, welcome out. Uh, We are so glad that you are here with us. Uh, In the seat back behind you, you'll find a connection card. We want to connect with you, get more information, uh, get to know you. And if you turn that into the back, we have an awesome gift for you. So please don't be in any rush to leave. So I'm excited for a few reasons to be here with you. Uh, Number one reason is uh, fasting is like awesome, but it's not my favorite thing, okay? I'll be honest. So I'm, I'm glad uh, and excited that, that we, as a church, committed to, to five days of prayer and fasting. So if you were with us, we ran through this book called Great Faith. Now, if you didn't get a chance to fast with us, don't worry. You can still fast, okay? Um, we have a couple of these laying around, so I encourage you to pick one up because there's awesome information on, on what fasting is biblically and great devotionals that, that me and my wife have committed to running through the year and praying through these things that we had wrote down. The second reason why I'm excited is because for the next few weeks, we're going to be doing a sermon series out of this booklet called Great Faith. Uh, And I'm excited because we're not doing this alone. So on the back of this booklet, you might have heard in our video that we're part of a bigger family called Every Nation. Now, I grew up Mexican, so I I know what a big family is, and and so this one qualifies as a big family, okay, because we're all over the world. Um, And in Oceania, North America, South America, Central America, Europe, and Africa, all of our every nation churches are going to be running through this series, and we're believing God for great faith in 2019. I mean, what would 2019 look like if, if God cultivated and crafted in us great faith? I mean, we would be able to, to win our nation, our community, rise up to whatever God has for us. So we're going to start this year off strong, and we're going to finish it strong. And so we're going to be studying the subject of great faith. So if you're with me, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 10. So if you have your Bibles, will you please stand with me to honor the reading of God's Word? Hebrews chapter 10. Yes, everyone stand. I don't know what I said, okay? I'm getting warmed up, okay? It's going to get good, all right? Um, Hebrews chapter 10, we're going to be looking at verses 32 to 35. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and afflictions, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. I'm going to read this one more time. But recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and afflictions, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. You may be seated. The word of the Lord. Amen. With the remaining time I have with you, I want to answer one question um, that I believe this text answers for us, and it's this. What is going to motivate long-term faithfulness to God in your life? What is going to motivate long-term faithfulness to God in your life? Uh, This question has always been important to me. When I became a Christian, um, almost seven years ago, next month, I picked up this book, and in the first chapter, this author makes this case that one out of three people that make a commitment to follow God actually follow through and live their whole life, die, representing and identifying with Christ. So that means two out of three people um, eventually fall off or stop living for Christ. And, and this book was written a while back ago, so I'm sure the, the stat has changed, but, but this statistic marked me. And the reason why is because when I became a Christian, I walked into a room with two other friends and I was the only guy that stayed in that room. And the two other guys that I came to know the faith with aren't following Christ to the degree that they should be. And so what started off in my mind is, man, God, I want to be faithful to the end. I want to run this race well. I want to be able to die, and that when people are at my funeral, they'll be able to say, that guy lived for Jesus. Yeah. Like, like he, was, he was reckless, he was crazy, he was weird sometimes, he, he said dumb stuff, but it doesn't matter. This guy had Christ all over him. And I want to be able to leave behind a legacy, and where my family can say, man, he modeled for us what Christian living looks like, and, and I want to follow Christ because of him. And so what started off in in striving and fear, I was like, Lord, I want to perform so I can never fall away from you. And what started off in fear, the Lord eventually began to kind of mold into showing me that, that, hey, striving and performing is not what's going to maintain and sustain you. I'm going to do that. He who started a good work is going to be faithful to complete it. So the Lord will keep me. The Lord will hold me as long as I remain faithful to him. But if I can be honest with you guys, following Jesus can be hard sometimes. Really hard. And if you're in here and it's not difficult, please come lay hands on me and pray for me. My, my wife would appreciate that. Because, man, it's hard. Like, I feel like we live in a world that isn't conducive for faith. And there's a thousand different things that are vying for our attention, that are pulling us away from the faith, trying to distract us. And at the end of the day, man, it can be exhausting, I've likened it to, to swimming in the San Marcos River, as awesome as it is. If you're a decent swimmer, you can, you can kind of swim upstream and keep up with the current. But maybe the moment you stop paddling, that current takes you away, whichever direction the water's flowing. And for some of you guys, that's what your Christianity feels like. It's like, man, I'm just, I'm just trying to keep up. I'm just trying to resist temptation. I'm, I'm trying to have a good attitude and countenance and maintain faithfulness to God. But it's so hard, and it seems like the moment that you stop, your world caves in on you. I mean, that's my life. And so from this text, we're going to see the author answer this question for us. In your life, what is going to motivate long-term faithfulness to God? Now, we don't necessarily know who the author of Hebrews is, but, but we kind of can infer who he's writing to. The audience is more, more than likely a Jewish community that has just recently converted to Christianity. When we read the text, we, we see the author referencing a lot of Old Testament imagery and subjects, like uh, sacri- the sacrificial system, uh, priests, and covenants. And the author is making this case that, that Jesus is the Messiah, the long a, a weighted prophet, priest, and king that intercedes on our behalf and restores relationship with God. But at one point in the scripture, two things happen. One, he begins to warn the people from falling away from Christ because that's what this community was experiencing. In fact, a handful of these believers had gone apostate. They rejected the faith. They said, this isn't for me, I quit. And the author is warning them, saying, hey, hey, don't do that, Okay? It's not worth it. And he begins to encourage them to finish strong, to run this race with endurance, to have great faith. So that's where we pick up. So f- these next few moments, we're going to read some scripture, talk about it, and then answer this question. And then I have one takeaway, and we'll be done. So let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word, Lord. God, we're believing for great faith because you're a great God. Lord, I, I pray, Lord, that this word would speak to us, and that we would be convicted, Father, to draw near to you and love you all the days of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. One of the themes in this book is in spite of adversity, despite the afflictions and the sufferings that, that we're experiencing, we can hold on to hope we can firmly hold on to our faith in Christ. So let's look at verse 32. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. So a few questions kind of come through my mind. What are the former days and and what is this enlightenment about? What does that mean? Well, that more than likely means recall the moment that, that you became a Christian. Recall the moment that the lights went off in your mind and Christ made sense and you made him the absolute center of your life. You, you gave your life to him, and you turned away from sin. Recall that moment when you were enlightened. On February twenty fifth, uh, 2012, I was in a room, and I, and I heard the gospel preached. And it was this good news that, that despite my sin and despite my wickedness, God would step into my life, live for me, die for me, and restore relationship with him. So that I could experience eternal life with him forever. Now the lights went off in my mind. I can't explain to you what happened, but it just surpasses understanding. Where in this moment I knew that I wanted to live for Christ all the days of my life. I mean, I went I went crazy. Um, I started sharing the gospel with my, my family and my friends and even really know what the gospel was, but I knew that the Lord had done something in my life and it was worth sharing. I was enlightened. Uh, my values were changed. Uh, The things that I once found satisfying could not satisfy me anymore. And the sin that I once enjoyed left a bitter taste in my mouth. I could not be the same. And the author is saying, recall that moment. Recall the former days. When, when you were living a certain way, when you thought about Jesus and then he became who he says he is in this word, remember that moment. And then what follows that blows my mind. It says, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. Now how countercultural is that to the message that we hear sometimes? That hey, when you become a Christian, everything's going to be awesome. That when you become a Christian, everything is going to work itself out and you're not going to be insecure the same and you're not going to struggle the same but in fact this says they were enlightened they committed their lives to god and then they endured a hard struggle with sufferings what Uh, this right here is like a life verse for me because i've seen so many people in my life who've made commitments to follow christ and say to me berto this christianity thing doesn't work for me i'm like why it's like dude my life sucks like, I'm suffering and everything hurts. And I'm like, bro, that means it's working, <laughs> okay? Like, read the Bible. Your, your suffering and your afflictions is not God's displeasure over your life. If you're in Christ, we have no room for, to think that. But it's God purposefully doing something in our hearts that's drawing us near to him. And it's just part of the promise that nobody really pursues, but it's ours in Christ, that as they persecuted him, going to persecute us also. I mean, that's in Christ. That's the Bible, okay? The endured hard struggle with sufferings. Um, this is where I wish that the Bible had like these, it was like a picture book so we could see an image of, of what this actually means. Because when, when I read this, I, I relate it to my own present hard struggle and sufferings. Like, oh man, it's day three and I'm really hungry. Why'd I choose to fast? <laughs> Lord, couldn't there have been another way, you know? Uh, You know, my my hard struggle is like, I get in an argument with my wife on the way to church, and it's like, man, I'm supposed to be holy, you know? That's not how hard struggle is defined in this scripture. We know from history that these Christians were experiencing martyred lives. I mean, Roman oppression. Their heads were being cut off for being identified with Christ. They were being thrown into Colosseums to be objects of torture. They were impaled and lit on fire. They were being killed for their faith. This is their heart struggle. This was their afflictions. Verse 33, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and afflictions and sometimes being partners with those so treated publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, not privately. I believe it was public because whatever political oppression or whatever people groups were persecuting them wanted to make a statement in saying, if you choose to be identified with Christ, this is what your life's going to look like. Now, we don't visually see this, but this happens all the time overseas where we see people killed publicly for being identified with Christ. Why? So that other people looking in on this can get a visual image of, hey, this is what's going to happen to me if I choose to be identified with Christ. My life could be taken away from me. Everything I have could be stripped away. I could experience that same suffering. It wasn't a private suffering or affliction. It It was public for the whole world to see. And then it says they were partners with those so treated. What that means is that there was a, uh, some Christian believers were being persecuted and then others were standing up and partnering with them and saying, hey, I believe in the same God that they believe in. I will stand with my brother who is suffering, who is, who is being persecuted, because that's my God too. Now that's radical, crazy faith. They were partners with those so treated. That could also mean that the brothers and sisters that were being thrown into jail or prison, they were visiting them and meeting to their needs. Our current prison, prison system seems like a luxury to what this prison system looked like because, I mean, it was harsh. There's probably no running water. There was no food. And the prison guards weren't taking care to their needs. So probably the only food and and, and, and things that they were getting were from the visitors. And so they were taking a great risk to even going to these prisons where, where these Christians were being locked up just so they could take care of them. This word partners with is rendered from a Greek word that means fellowship. Man, that messed up my theology. That fellowship in this sense is partnering with your brothers and sisters that are being persecuted for the advancement of the gospel, is standing with people who are being identified with Christ and experiencing great risk of death, public humiliation, and suffering, that's what fellowship is? Man, I have a long way to go. That they were taking a bold risk and saying, I identify with those brothers and sisters. I will mourn with those who mourn and rejoice with those who rejoice. For you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. How is that possible? That that whatever oppression they were experiencing would come into their homes and plunder it. I have no words for that. I mean, if somebody were to come into my one, you know, small one-bedroom apartment, there's not that much stuff in it, but plundered it, I'd be far from joyful. And yet these brothers and sisters joyfully accepted. They just moved out of the way. When the oppression uh, and the people that were persecuting them came into their households and stole everything they had, burned everything they had, ransacked plundered everything they had. They, they stepped away and joyfully accepted it. Now the question that comes to my mind is how is this possible? How can you joyfully accept suffering and affliction? How can you have compassion and identify yourself with your brothers and sisters that are being persecuted? How can you represent Christ or even have the, the motivation to follow Him? And the answer to that is in verse 34, it says this they knew that they had a better possession and an abiding one. Yes. So what is going to motivate long term faithfulness to God in your life? Knowing that you have a better possession and an abiding one. What is going to motivate long term faithfulness to God in, in our life? Jesus Christ who is our better possession and an abiding one. So what what does that mean, that that, that Jesus is our better possession? The better possession and abiding one is not a thing. It is a person and a great salvation, a great relationship of acceptance with God and fellowship with God and enjoyment of, of God forever. Notice the two adjectives, better and abiding. It is better than anything this world can offer And it lasts longer than anything this world can offer. So what makes Jesus a better possession? Well, number one, he's God. He's the living God who, who holds the whole universe in His hand. He is our Father, and we get to experience a great relationship with Him. And He is infinitely better than anything this world can offer because nothing that this world can offer me will ever satisfy me, will ever complete me, will ever bring me joy, or even eternal life. Jesus has the capacity to do this because He is God. He is far better than any earthly possession that we can ever possess, and He'll last longer than anything we can ever own. This is who our God is He gives life, He gives purpose, He gives worth. This is how the book of Hebrews is kind of outlined. It's showing us who Jesus is. In Hebrews chapter 1, he is the the supremacy of God who holds the whole universe in his hand. In Hebrews chapter 3, it says that he is greater than Moses. So if you read about Moses in the Old Testament, Moses is pretty great. Jesus is greater than that. Hebrews chapter 4, he is our high priest. In Hebrews chapter 8, he is a better covenant. Because of his life, death, and resurrection, we can be in a relationship with God by placing our faith in him, not based on anything awesome we've done, not based on on keeping the law, but solely on placing our faith and trust in him and turning away from our sins. This is the relationship that the Lord has secured for us. He's a better possession. Um... I don't know about you, but every time I, I get, like, a, a new iPhone, I'm, like, super cautious with it. Like, I go, like, life-proof, Otterbox, screen <laughs> protector. My wife thinks I'm weird. Um, and then I'm, like, checking for scratches every now and then. But then after a while, this thing kind of gets old. And it's like, oh, who cares if there's a screen protector? You know, forget the case. And I just, like, throw it like it's nothing. But, but at first, man, this thing is awesome. But this thing gets old. Jesus isn't like that. It's not this, he's not this person that comes into our lives and then after a while we get bored with and then we find no use for it. No, he's more than that. Amen. He's the living God who wants to commune with us and be in relationship with us. And he can satisfy me and complete me like this thing will never be able to. And this thing's going to get old. I know it is because I'll start putting updates and then I got to get a new one because it gets really slow doesn't happen with Jesus. He never gets old. He never gets boring. Like Pastor Peter says, we get boring. Jesus is a better possession, and he is an abiding one. If you currently have possessions in your life that you hold near and dear to your heart, that occupy a place in your life that the better possession should Jesus Christ I believe that you will experience very shallow joy. That you'll experience unstable confidence, poor endurance, and weak compassion. Because when this people group, this newly converted Christian family that we read about in Hebrews 10, had Jesus as their sole great possession in their heart, their great reward, nothing else mattered, nothing could compare, we see the fruit of their lives. I mean, they had joy. They had compassion. They had endurance. You know, it was easy for them to say, okay, you can, you can rip apart my life, but I know where I'm going. You know, you can, you can take away my home, but I'm going to inherit a greater reward in heaven. This is temporal. It will not last forever. I have something better waiting for me. And, the, and they knew that. They internalized it in their hearts, and it was evident in the way they lived. So this brings up a great question, and it is my one takeaway. Is Jesus your better possession? We can say it right now, like, of course, Jesus is our, our yeah, Absolutely all day, because we live in a a safe world. But when I was talking to Pastor Peter, it's like, man, what would my heart reveal if I were to experience this type of persecution, this type of plundering, this type of oppression? Would my heart reveal that my better possession is Jesus? Would my life confidently say that I don't care what you're doing to me, I don't care what you take away, you cannot take away Christ in me, the hope of glory. And that's my prayer. That is my portion in Jesus' name. And that is my hope for all of us in this room. That 2019 would be marked by elevated, great faith that no matter what this year has in store for us, no matter what it gives or takes away, that we can be steadfast, immovable, knowing that we have a better possession, an abiding one, a great reward that we await. This isn't, this isn't our home. Yeah. That We have a, a future glory to look forward to, that we would have this eternal perspective that motivates us to endure to the end. And so, In my life, this is what I am trying to discipline myself to. I don't want to wait to experience oppression and affliction and suffering to notice that, man, like, I don't trust or love Jesus the way I should. I want to be ready for it because I know it's coming. It, like, always does. And when it does come, I can confidently stand Knowing that hey, my soul is rooted in God's great love for me. And nothing can be taken away from me because I have everything I need in Christ Jesus. Yeah. Let's let's train our minds and our hearts and our souls to live that way. Yeah. I don't I don't wanna I don't wanna have a moment where I just get like thrown off by the unexpectedness. No, I, I wanna expect it. I know it, I know it's gonna be there. The financial insecurity is always gonna be there. The, the, the doubt in my faith it, through whatever, you know, pain or suffering or health issue, it, it's going to come. The, the doubt that's going to arise in my soul, the, the tensions that are going to pull me away, the, the public persecution, it, it's gonna, it, I can't avoid it. In this world, I will have trouble. The Lord said, but take heart, I have overcome the world. 2019, we will take heart because we have great faith in a great God church. This is our portion in Christ Jesus. What does it mean to make Jesus your better possession? I believe it means to make Jesus the Lord of your life and to live a life that reflects his lordship in your life. If he says, stop doing this, I'm going to stop doing it. If he says, do this, I'm going to do it. If he says, put sin to death, I'm putting it to death. Put on Christ, absolutely. Absolutely. Whatever he calls me to, whatever he demands of my life, no sacrifice is too great for the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the earth. That's my heart church. There, when Jesus is our better possession and our only possession, the only thing that matters, our faith increases and our values get reoriented. So how can you tell if Jesus is your better possession from the scripture? We see a few indicators. Since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession, you will know him. That Greek word, genosko, you will intimately know God. You will not know of him, you will know him. You will have a relationship with him. You will experience him. You will know his heart. You will know his attitude. You will know what he demands of you. It's not this, I go to church on Sunday, know of him. It's I live with him. I commune with him. He's in my car when I drive to work. He's on my mind when I'm going throughout the day. I spend time with him. I dive into the word. I pray. I live this thing out. You know him. My, my freshman year was, I, I thought I, I knew God because um, I grew up really religious and um, I knew what he looked like from like this crucifix that hung in my church. I didn't know him. And the fruit of that was evident in my life. And when I heard this great word preached that he wanted to be in relationship with him, my desires were changed, my, my life was changed, and it just became this intentional relationship of, God, I want to get to know you as my best friend, as a, and you desire to reveal yourself to me that way. Church, we will know him if he is our better possession. You will identify with him, The same way that these brothers and sisters identified with those that were being persecuted, we will identify with Christ. We will not stand down, but we will rise up and represent Christ well in our workplace, in the community, at school, on social media, in every aspect of your life, every space and place that you occupy, we will represent Christ well. We will identify with him. We will identify with our brothers and sisters that are being persecuted, that are dying for the advancement of the gospel. We will partner with them. We will support them. We will not speak down upon them. You know, oh, they had poor mission strategy, or they're reckless, or I wouldn't have done that. Why would you go there? No, no. We will stand with them because they're taking the gospel to places that we are not. We will partner with them. We will identify with them. In the midst of our struggles, reproach, and afflictions, we will endure with joy and compassion. The place of great faith, the place great faith is cultivated in is in a great relationship with God. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, locking arms with him, and loving him with all our heart, soul, and mind. Let's take a quick look at Luke chapter 17, verse 5. And six, Jesus is having a conversation with his disciples, and this question comes up, Lord, I want to have great faith. Will you please increase my faith? And the way Jesus answers this question, I, I, I wouldn't have expected it to go down this road, but he's Jesus, and it's awesome. It says this, the apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, Some translations say mulberry seed. You could say to this mulberry tree, oh, there it is, uh, be uprooted and planted up into the sea and it would obey you. The apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith, verse six, and the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it would obey you. Here's a quote by John Piper. The crucial issue in accomplishing great things to advance the kingdom of God is not the quantity of our faith, but the power of God. He says, if you had faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you could say to the mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted into the sea, and it would obey you. By referring to the tiny seed after being asked about increased faith, he deflects attention away from the quantity of faith to the object of faith. So it doesn't matter how, how, how big your faith is, how, how, how little your faith is, it, it, it doesn't matter. It's about the object of your faith, having faith in a great God. God moves mulberry trees. It does not depend decisively on the quantity of our faith, but on His power and wisdom and love. In knowing this, we are helped not to worry about our faith and are inspired to, to trust God's free initiative and power. Great enduring faith comes from growing in relationship with Jesus. Your biggest obstacle and and my biggest obstacle to experiencing great faith in the midst of adversity is making Jesus my lower possession and putting other things on, on the throne of my heart and making other things a priority. But as I grow in Jesus and I grow with Jesus, he will, he will grow my faith. And, and I've seen this to be true in my life, where I, as I grow in, w- with God, the things that I, I see the Bible say about God, I, I witness in my life. And I believe that's the journey that the Lord wants to take us on, is that as we grow in, in relationship With him, he is the author and perfecter of our faith. He will grow our faith. He will sustain us. He's the one that moves the mountains. And then our faith increases in believing that he can do it. And The more we experience God, the the more we can testify to his goodness. Man, that God is who he says he is. That's why I I love surrounding myself with just old guns in, in, in the faith. Just, just people who've experienced God, who, who have experienced his faithfulness and, and his goodness. So I can like, lo, you know, bump shoulders with them and, you know, say, man, I'm kind of struggling in my faith. And they'll say something like, oh, I experienced that, but worse. And God's still good. I'm like, yes, yeah, okay, God's still good. It's the relationship that Jesus wants to take us on. So how do you make Jesus your better possession? The Bible is very clear about this. Faith and repentance. You place your faith in Jesus. That he is who he says he is. That he lived for you, died for you. That he is the way, the truth, and life. That you cannot have a relationship with God apart from him. That, that you not only make him your savior, you, you make him your Lord. Where he directs your life. And we live up to the standards that he calls us to. Not so that He can love us better, but because it is a great joy to live the way God has designed us to live. And then we turn away from the lesser possessions. We repent from any sins that occupy our heart and rob Jesus from being our better possession. When we were weak in faith, throwing away our confidence and enjoying other things, Jesus came to live out perfect faith and obedience to secure for us an unshakable hope, relationship with God, and a great reward of eternal life. Jesus himself displayed great faith when experiencing persecution and suffering and remained faithful to the Father despite adversity. Because of his great faith, we can draw near to God and be in relationship with him because he lived and died that we may be identified as sons and daughters of the king. In Christ, we are not thrown away, but we are saved and redeemed to live for the king. What is going to motivate long-term faithfulness to God in your life? knowing Jesus, making Him your better possession, and walking that out by growing in relationship with Him. Let's pray together as we transition into communion.